Amen. If you have your Bibles, open up to 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 23. We'll be looking at verses chapters uh, 22 and 23 this morning, but I'm going to read to you uh, in just a moment, um, chapter 23, verses 1 through 14. 1 Samuel uh, chapter 23, verses 1 through 14. As you're opening up there, let me do encourage you, please, if you would, to come be our guest next Sunday at our First Things New Members class, 9.15, the Sunday school hour. So this is for those who are new members or just maybe are old members but want to learn more, or you've been a member for a year and forgot to come the last time, or whatever else. People who are interested in membership and people who are just curious. I, we're not going to put the hard sell on you or twist your arm, try to force you to join. This is a time for you to come learn more and try to think through whether or not you might want to be a member here. So I look forward to seeing you next Sunday in the chapel at 9.15. If you have your Bibles open to 1 Samuel chapter 23, why don't you go and stand with me out of reverence for the reading of the words of our God. The author writes, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, in such a way that as the words on this page are being read, God himself is speaking to us. Beginning verse 1. Now they told David, behold, the Philistines are fighting against Keilah and are robbing the threshing floors. Therefore David inquired of the Lord, Shall I go and attack these Philistines? And the Lord said to David, Go and attack the Philistines and save Keilah. But David's men said to him, Behold, we are afraid here in Judah. How much more then if we go to Keilah against the armies of the Philistines? And then David inquired of the Lord again, and the Lord answered him, Arise, go down to Keilah, for I will give the Philistines into your hand. And David and his men went to Keilah and fought with the Philistines and brought away their livestock and struck them with a great blow. So David saved the inhabitants of Keilah. When Abiathar, the son of Ahimelech, had fled to David to Keilah, he had come down with an ephod in his hand. Now it was told Saul that David had come to Keilah, and Saul said, God has given him into my hand, for he has shut himself in by entering a town that has gates and bars. And Saul summoned all the people to war to go down to Keilah to besiege David and his men. And David knew that Saul was plotting harm against him, and he said to Abiathar the priest, Bring the ephod here. And then David said, O Lord, the God of Israel, your servant has surely heard that Saul seeks to come to Keilah to destroy the city on my account. Will the men of Keilah surrender me into his hand? Will Saul come down as your servant has heard? O Lord, the God of Israel, please tell your servant. And the Lord said, He will come down. And then David said, Will the men of Keilah surrender me and my men into the hand of Saul? And the Lord said, They will surrender you. And then David and his men, who were about 600, arose and departed from Keilah, and they went wherever they could go. And when Saul was told that David had escaped from Keilah, he gave up, from the, uh, gave up the expedition. And David remained in the strongholds in the wilderness, in the hill country of the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul sought him every day, but God did not give him into his hand. Let's pray together. Oh God, we thank you for this opportunity we have to hear from your word. And oh Lord, we ask even now, would you please open our hearts and minds to receive your word. And oh God, we ask that we might be changed by it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. 
Amen. You may be seated. What a joy Fifth Sundays are uh, to have our children here with us in the service the whole time and here every week, but it's great to have you guys here uh, this morning. Thank you for being here. I want to ask everyone a question, but in particular, my friends who are here this morning, let me ask you this question. How many of you know about movies and shows and a series of media called Star Wars? Anybody in here know about Star Wars? We've got Ford raising his hand here. Who else? Anybody over here know about Star Wars? You guys know about Star Wars at least a little bit? Okay, let me ask you this question. You know something about Star Wars. Let me ask a question, okay? Now, adults, please don't answer, okay? Um, does anyone know who the bad guy is in Star Wars? Anybody know? All right. Nobody in the middle section. Anybody over here? <laughs> All right, let's see. Who is it? Who's the bad guy in Star Wars? Who's the main one, Ford? <laughs> Emperor Palpatine, not who I was going for. Okay, Darth, Vader. Darth Vader, there we go, yeah. All right. We know, buddy, we know. And that's my son, Ford, and uh, man, I love him so much, but his two favorite words in the world are well, actually. And so uh, that's sort of how things went here. Yeah. Thanks, buddy. It is Emperor Palpatine, to be fair, but I'm thinking about Darth Vader. He's one most of us think about when we think about Star Wars. This illustration would have gone a lot better without kids in the room, as it turns out. Every, every one of you would have been like Darth Vader immediately. Darth Vader is originally Anakin Skywalker. And he goes, in the course of the prequel movies, he goes from good guy to bad guy, and eventually, as we know, becomes the famous villain, this villain we all know so well, Darth Vader. Or as Ford used to call him, Dark Vader, which I loved a lot. Let me ask you this question. Have you ever, I want everyone to think about this. Have you ever looked in the mirror one day? I've been laying in bed at night thinking and just asked yourself, what am I doing? What have I become? Who am I? Have, have you ever found yourself caught up in sin in ways that you never Expected, And I, I want you to know, I don't necessarily mean a scandal or even something most folks would take very seriously, but just the spiritual life, or maybe rather the lack of a spiritual life in your life. Have you ever thought you'd been at a place there? Have you ever found yourself in a place you never thought you would be? Have you ever had a spiritual life you never thought you'd have? You look back to the high moments with the Lord and the joyous moments with the Lord and you find yourself wondering how you got where you are now. I've been there before. I've been there more than once in my life. I don't know if that comforts you or not to know that your pastor's been there, but I hope it does for you to know everyone's been there at one point or another. How do we get there? How do we get where we were in those dark moments? But even, even more importantly how do we move back toward righteousness where do we go next and listen if you have reached a crossroads today how you might ask yourself how can I be sure that I'm making the right decision because doing the wrong thing often feels so right or we wouldn't do it this morning I want to show you how to move from sinful pride or sounds simpler than it is perhaps but I want to show you a way to move 
from sinful pride to faith. To faith that leads to righteousness. And I hope to make a case this morning for why that's always the right decision. Why it's always good to do the right thing. Why you can always count that following Jesus is the right way. Following Jesus by faith. That is, from this text this morning, I want to show you three points that will show you why you should trust God over yourself and your own sinful pride and your own desire to sin. Why you should trust God no matter what. I want to show you these three truths this morning. Here's the first. Pride is the root of sin. Pride is the root of sin. Now, Saul, as many of us know, if if you're here for the first day, Saul was a king who became king in Israel and then began rejecting the Lord. And then ultimately the Lord rejected him and handed him over to his sinfulness. And Saul is now in the midst of a free fall into sin, a free fall into wickedness. In fact, a free fall into madness. And as he continues his descent into darkness and continues to be frustrated by his lack of knowledge, his lack of knowledge of what David is doing, his lack of knowledge as to when his end will come, his lack of knowledge as to what God is up to, As he continues to be frustrated by this, we then get a glimpse into Saul's sort of days of paranoia here among his court. Notice back in chapter 22, which we did not read earlier, but we will look at for a moment here. 22 verses 7 and 8, how Saul is acting. He's back under a tree again, a little bit of a symbol throughout the book that symbolizes Saul's unwillingness to act righteously. Here in verse 7, notice how it begins. Saul said to his servants who stood about him, Hear now, people of Benjamin, will the son of Jesse give every one of you fields and vineyards? Will he make you all commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds that all of you have conspired against me? It's interesting that The promises that Saul's making to all his courtiers here happen to be the things that God warned the Israelites about when they desired a king. No one discloses to me when my son makes a covenant with the son of Jesse. None of you is sorry for me or discloses to me that my son has stirred up my servant against me to lie in wait as at this day. A familiar name comes up though. Familiar name that we heard just a chapter before. Verse 9. Then answered Doeg the Edomite, who stood by the servants of Saul. I saw the son of Jesse coming to Nob to Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub. And he inquired of the Lord for him. Something the text doesn't tell us. Presumably this is something Doeg's making up to make things worse. You see this here. He inquired of the Lord for him. Verse 10, and gave him provisions and gave him the sword of Goliath, the Philistine. Those last two things are true. Nonetheless, it's interesting that though David simply needed food, you see Doeg talking about this as if it's the materials of war, provisions for the battle that is to come, stoking Saul's paranoia. Doeg is willing to participate, of course, and this leads to Saul's unholy War. He calls for Ahimelech the priest and presumably all of his brothers uh, to come, his countrymen, so to speak, to come. All the priests who were at Nob 
come before Saul. And eventually, when talking to Ahimelech, we see Saul's paranoia continuing to grow. See it with me in verse 13. Saul said to him, Why have you conspired against me, you and the son of Jesse, and that you have given him bread and a sword and have inquired of God for him, so that he has risen against me to lie in wait as at this day? Saul's paranoia is growing, and eventually we see in these verses to follow, eventually Saul commands his men, his Israelite guard, to kill Ahimelech and the rest of the priests. Now, understandably, they're afraid of God. They won't kill a priest. And so then Saul turns to Doeg, the Edomite, not a man of Israel, not a godly man, not a man who fears the Lord. Another good reminder for all of us to consider the company we keep, to consider those who are willing to encourage us in our wickedness and even do wickedness on our behalf. Doeg, ever the opportunist, performs the wicked deed, killing over 80 of those, as the Bible says, who wore the linen ephod, that is, who served the Lord as priests at Nob. Already with the blood of 85 priests on his hand, Saul's rage doesn't end there. Notice the description of how things continue. Chapter 22, verse 19. And Nob, the city of the priests, he put to the sword. Both man and woman, child and infant, ox, donkey, and sheep, he put to the sword. And thus Saul, in one of the darkest moments of his life, is willing to do for Saul what he refused to do for God. Saul's willing to carry out holy war, to carry out the ban, when his own paranoid suspicions are inflamed. But when God's glory is at stake and when God is requiring the blood of the Amalekites for his own vengeance and judgment, Saul refuses to do what he should do. Saul in his pride is so focused on Saul that he's willing to do holy war for Saul, but not for God. I want to ask you this question today, my friends. In this dark passage, in this difficult to think through passage, ask yourself this question. Have you considered the fact that your pride is the root of your sin? That that is, your self-centeredness, your self-righteousness, your commitment to your own way, your pride. Your pride will lead you ultimately to sin and ultimately to destruction. I, I want you to see here Saul's foolishness, Saul's folly. I mean, what is really Saul trying to accomplish here? He's trying to preserve himself, right? I don't know if you've ever uh, dealt with paranoia or ever been paranoid yourself, but in the moments of my life when I felt myself dealing with paranoid, it paranoia, it feels real. <laughs> it is really difficult to convince me otherwise. And, to, and so Saul genuinely is putting forth effort to protect himself. to to preserve himself. You see, what must feel like self-preservation to him 
and in this moment is actually foolishness. And we can see it for what it is. It's prideful self-delusion that's leading to profound wickedness. Saul being able to do something to be a threat to his own countrymen. When he ought to be out fighting the Philistines, he ought to be waging war against the Philistines to protect and serve his people. Instead, he's tilting at the windmill of David and then murdering his own country. Saul has become his own worst enemy. You can see it, can't you? Can't you see Saul's foolishness? It's so easy to see. It's so plain to see Saul's own attempts at self-preservation will ultimately prove to be his own undoing. How is it, though, that we can see it so easily in Saul? We can see it so easily in Saul, but it's so hard to see in ourselves. Brothers and sisters, we are all bent toward pride. We are all bent toward going our own way. We are all bent toward doing things in a self-centered, self, um, self-gratifying way at the expense of others and at most of all at the expense of serving the Lord. But brothers and sisters, we have to be on guard that we are not deceived by our pride and deceived by our sin. That we're not lulled into foolishness in this way. But that's easier said than done, isn't it? It's a lot easier said than done to say, you know, I ought not to do things my way. I ought to do things God's way. Well, that leads us to our next point, And it's this. Faith is the root of righteousness. Second of all, faith is the root of righteousness. One priest escapes. His name's Abiathar. And he flees and runs to David. And when David receives him, he immediately begins taking responsibility for what happened. When he saw Doeg the Edomite, and we don't know why David didn't try to act then, or we don't know when he discovered that Doeg the Edomite was there. It's hard to tell. The text is ambiguous about whether or not David is truly culpable for the death. Unquestionably, we know who is fully culpable for the death. It's Saul. And yet, David, taking responsibility here, though, shows the way that he trusts the Lord. He doesn't have to come out and defend himself and say, well, listen, I was just doing the best I could. I think you need to know this. I think you need to understand that. That's not at all what David is doing. Instead, what is David doing? He's taking responsibility not only for his actions, but also taking responsibility for the protection of Abiathar. He says, the same person who seeks your life seeks my life. Come with me and you'll be safe. David then begins to seek the Lord. He begins to look to the Lord. He hears of the Philistines making raids and attacking and stealing food from Keilah, a town on the border of Philistia and Judea. There's a place where uh, Philistines are able to make raids, a place where they're exposed to the enemy. And so David seeks the Lord. At this point, it's hard to tell. The text is a little bit ambiguous as to whether or not um, Abiathar had already come. Later it says it came to him at Keilah. So it's unclear whether David's seeking the Lord through the prophet Gad or through the through the, 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 the priest Abiathar at this point. But in any way, in any rate, he's seeking the Lord. And then he goes on and asks the Lord whether or not he should go to save Keilah. And the Lord confirms, despite the fact his men don't want to go, the Lord confirms again. They're in a safer part of Judah. But he says, go and save Keilah. I'll deliver you from the enemy. Saul hears where David is. 
He tries to take advantage of his presence in a walled city. Verse 23, chapter 5 tells us, David and his men went to Keilah and fought with the Philistines and brought away their livestock and struck them with a great blow. So David saved the inhabitants of Keilah. And so there David is, having done the right thing, have having trusted the Lord, having followed the Lord, and now he's trapped inside of a walled city, a hunted man, and the one who seeks his life knows exactly where he is. Again, this time certainly through Abiathar, with the ephod, which is a means by which a priest could discern the will of the Lord. David seeks the Lord again and learns that the people of Keilah would sacrifice him to save themselves. That if Saul came along, he would, they would hand David over. Now, it's not the right thing for the people of Keilah to do, but we have to recognize what happened at Nob and the bloodthirstiness of Saul and recognize, perhaps put in the same situation, we might find ourselves doing the same thing. So David continues on the run while Saul's plans get thwarted. I hope you see what's happening in the story here. I hope you see what's happening and what the author is trying to help us see about David. David is trusting the Lord. David is putting his faith in God, even in times when he's got a priest who might slow him down, even in times when he goes and saves people and his men don't want to go save them. He trusts the Lord. Even when he's inside a walled city and those people would give him over, he trusts the Lord, exposing himself to great risk, trusting the Lord no matter what. You see, David's faith in God is what resulted in righteous behavior. And it's easy for us to read this text and see Saul and to see David and to say, well, Saul was good, Saul was bad, and David was good. Therefore, we ought to be good like David. That's easier said than done. What the Bible is trying to teach us is that the only way we can be righteous, the only way that we can become more like God, the only way that we can forsake the way of sin, the way of Saul, the only way we can walk in the paths of righteousness is by trusting the Lord. It is only by grace through faith. David reflects on this later in the 52nd Psalm. In the aftermath of Doeg's scheme, here's just a few verses that David penned in a song talking about his trust in the Lord. Your tongue plots destruction. Oh, can't you see Doeg written all over these words in Psalm 52, verses 2 and 3? Like a sharp razor, you worker of deceit, you love evil more than good and lying more than speaking what is right. A couple verses later, David goes on to say, But God will break you down forever. He will snatch and tear you from your tent. He will uproot you from the land of the living. In Psalm 52, verse 8, as the psalm is concluding, David says this, I trust. Another way to say this is, I have faith in the steadfast love of God forever and ever. What separates David from Saul? What separates David from Doeg? David trusts in the steadfast love of the Lord. Self-centeredness self-preservation, doing it our way, basing things on what we see and what we see alone. It just makes sense. It's so easy to do. Sure, David is righteous, but look where it gets him, you might say. Sure, he's following Jesus and trusting God, but he's hiding in caves. He's sold out by the people he saves. Why trust God instead of going our own way? It's our last point this morning. God's faithfulness never fails. So our third point this morning, our last point, God's faithfulness never fails. 
chapter 23, verses 15 through 18, we see again the way Jonathan comes to David and renews the covenant. And the Bible says that the hand of David was strengthened by this ministry of Jonathan during this time. But simultaneously, David is hiding out in the wilderness of Ziph, and the people of the land obviously had heard of what happened at Nob as well. And they go immediately and sell David out to Saul, telling him where he is. And a near disaster happens as David is hiding from Saul. Saul is hunkering down on David. He's getting really close to him. He's coming around the mountain where David is. His troops are about to close in on David. Things are near the end. And at that moment, right at the right moment, a messenger comes telling Saul the Philistines have attacked. Bringing Saul back to reality, back to the job he ought to be doing. And allowing David and his men to run away quickly and get away from Saul and go back into hiding. And so a near disaster at the crag of escape. Because Saul was called to do his job he's actually supposed to be doing. And it's God who does it. It's not David's cunning. It's not his ability. It's just the sheer, absolute providence of God. But Brothers and sisters, I urge you this morning to walk by faith. To go the Lord's way. Because God's faithfulness never fails. God's faithfulness never fails. It may seem like your way is the best, but I promise you, like David said earlier, eventually things are disastrous for those who disobey God. But in the long way, when we trust the Lord, when we walk in the Lord's ways, ultimately we see and receive His faithfulness. Don't you see the way that Saul's sin and pride have so distorted reality for him that in his search for what he believes to be a threat, he has become the greatest threat to the peace, safety, and stability of his people? In his search for what he thinks is public enemy number one, Saul himself has become public enemy number one. Pride blurs everything but what we want and what we desire. But faith delivers to us a striking reality that God's world and God's ways are what actually is. And it shows us to them as they to us as they actually are, instead of the fantasy of sin and pride that we so desperately want to believe. By faith, brothers and sisters, by faith, no matter our circumstances, we must trust God because God's faithfulness never fails. David, as I said, wrote about this episode in his life. And by faith, let us always be the sort of people who, no matter what our circumstances might be, no matter how much it makes, might make sense on paper, right, to go our own way, no matter what common sense might want to tell us. No matter what our friends who aren't speaking the wisdom of the Bible might tell us, no matter how much it might feel like we need to do the wrong thing, let us always by faith instead sing alongside David as he sang about this chapter of his life in the 52nd Psalm, the last two verses, verses 8 and 9. But I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the steadfast love of God forever and ever. I will thank you forever because you have done it. I will wait for your name for it is good in the presence of the godly. No matter what circumstances you're in, can you say that by faith? No matter how bad things are today, can you say that by faith? I will thank you forever because you have done it. 
I will wait for your name, for it is good in the presence of the godly. I trust, I have faith in the steadfast love of God forever and ever. I want to offer you the opportunity today to do business with the Lord. I want you to respond to the Lord in faith today. I want to offer an invitation here in just a few moments. Perhaps you're an unbeliever and you've never put your faith in Jesus for the first time. Oh, what joy it would bring me to talk to you today about what it means to follow Jesus. I believe if you'll turn from your sin and pride in faith, I mean in repentance, and turn to God in faith through Jesus, I believe you will be saved. Second of all, you may be a Christian. You may say, I need to turn from my sin and pride, turn to God in faith. I need to renew my faith in the Lord this morning. You do business with the Lord right where you are. If you need someone to talk to, you come talk to me. Or if you just want somewhere to pray, this altar is open. And finally, you may be looking for a church home. Oh, if God is leading you to be a member of First Baptist Church, you come on down right now. I'd love to talk to you about what it means for you to join this church. After this prayer, I want to invite you to come. Let's pray together.